Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. I was preparing to, to share with you from Matthew, from the Sermon on the Mount this morning, and I kept recognizing that the points and the things that I want to urge us as a community to live out, John Hamster Jr. does really, really well. And John has been a consistent example, not only to y'all in the church, but to me in my interactions of embodying the very things that Jesus talks about in the passage we're about to crack open and look at. And, And it matters so much that we be people who put his words into practice. Because believing in Jesus cannot just be a matter of like abstract theology to us. What we believe is shown in how we actually live. And it's theology in action. That's our actual theology. And that's why we're taking time now for what's going to feel like quite a number of months. Probably not as long as this church spent in Luke in its early years. Uh, but to camp out here in the Sermon on the Mount and to develop our ability as individuals, families, and a church to consistently live the way Jesus describes his kingdom functions. Um, we started by looking at the Beatitudes these verses that are on the banners around us. And we've seen how heaven's kingdom comes with blessing. That when God appears on the scene, when he moves and comes in and among his people, the blessing of heaven comes with him. And Jesus lives out these beatitudes. We saw last week in the sermon, as Jesus comes bringing blessing, he brings a gospel of rest. It's good news that he himself has already satisfied the requirements of God and that we can enter into his rest. And it's always a good time to express the heart of God. Well, this morning, we're going to take a look specifically. Again, none of these messages has the capability of being exhaustive or you would become exhausted. And instead, we're picking out examples. These are snapshots, if you will of Jesus embodying the kingdom of heaven, ways that he urges us as his people to embody the kingdom of heaven. And so we're pulling this morning as an example, what's it look like to live out, blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the sons of God. Well, Jesus talks about it you know, barely a few breaths later, here also in Matthew 5, in verses 21 through 26. And so as we're asking questions, what does it look like us to live Jesus's teaching? What does it look like to live as kingdom people and embody these beatitudes? Let's just read it. Matthew chapter five, verse 21. Jesus says, you've heard it said to the people long ago, do not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. To judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, which is not an English word, it's Aramaic. And in the Greek manuscript of the New Testament, it shows up in the Aramaic. And so they've just preserved that. Guy, it's, it's an insult. It's a dismissive insult. Basically says, you empty headed fool. Okay? Um, and it says Raka is answerable to the Sanhedrin. Anybody know what the Sanhedrin is? Probably some of our homeschool kids do. Uh, the Sanhedrin was the Jewish ruling council. They're basically saying, if you insult someone else, you can be taken to court about it. That's what Jesus is saying. Does that make sense? 
right? Um, but now Jesus continues, says, but anyone who says you fool will be in what? In danger of what? In danger of the fire of hell. And so there's three little sections in these five, in these six verses. And this was just the first one of them. And it highlights this important point, which is that contempt for other people is an offense that God takes seriously. Do you hear that? Jesus continues and he says, therefore, right, because of what we just heard, therefore, if you're offering a gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar and first go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Which shows us simply that you and I, we can't separate our relationship with God from our relationship with other people. And he intends us to be people who seek peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. And then verses 25 and 26 Say, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still with him on the way. Or he may hand you over to the judge. And the judge may hand you over to the officer. And you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth. You will not get out until you've paid the last penny. And we see that, as far as Jesus is concerned, making peace is an urgent priority. Making peace is an urgent Priority. So don't procrastinate or wait for the other person to take initiative. Do you see Jesus saying that as we go through there? Uh, were, were the conclusions I drew from those things, was that faithful? Does that match what you were hearing when you were reading it? Okay. All right. Now, we won't labor a lot of time in it. Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God. He brings this manifesto about the nature of God's kingdom. And he keeps on showing us what it looks like. And it boils down in this. Kingdom living starts with us having an attitude of respect and value for other people. We can't separate that from faith in Christ Jesus. Because it's about the nature of God himself. We can't separate that. Uh, later on in, the, in this chapter, Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 uh, through 48. And he links it to the nature of God himself. You take a look at this. I urge you to read it in more detail during the week. But this idea that loving our neighbor, even loving our enemy, is central to our faith, comes back to who God himself is, who loves and blesses the evil and the good, the unrighteous and the righteous, who is kind to the ungrateful and wicked and says to us, be like your father in heaven. Here's the thing. People are made in God's image. And how we treat people displays what we think of God's image. God's image is, it's messed up, guys. I mean, we know that. God's image in me is messed up. God's image in you, it isn't perfect either. But nonetheless, even in the most messed up life, remains the image of God himself. So how we treat other people, Jesus says, that's what your worship really looks like. And so we need to treat other people with dignity and respect to honor God. And so in this passage, you see Jesus is so focused on how we do relationships with other people. And he keeps implying, 
that that affects our relationship with God. It says, if you're insulting somebody else, you may be in real serious danger with the Lord. He said, if you're going to come worship, but you've got broken relationships that you're doing nothing about to try to restore, he says, don't, don't just try to come to me and pretend it's all okay. Work on making it right. God is inseparably concerned with how we treat other people as part of our worship to him. And it, so it matters that we treat other people with dignity and worth, that we are concerned for reconciliation. And so just a couple of questions. What do you think Jesus thinks about flaming somebody else online? You disagree with something somebody else says on Facebook. How do you respond? What does Jesus think about it? If you seize that as your chance to call them out for what an idiot they are. It sounds a whole lot like what he's talking about in verses 21 and 22 here. That insulting things that we say about or to other people are not pleasing to the Lord. What does Jesus think about when we're talking to somebody else at work and we're complaining about the boss and talking about what a jerk he is and how how we don't respect him? What's Jesus think about that? Or you've got another coworker who's, you know, who's not in the conversation, but you're talking trash about them to somebody else. Does that please the Lord? I don't hear you. Thank you. Uh, good answer. Right? Loving our neighbor is an expression of what us loving God looks like. And so we treat, we must treat other people with dignity and respect, even where we disagree with their opinions, their attitudes, and their lifestyle. Um, you know, just, just one way that that worked out recently in our home uh, was uh, Sarah just, my, our younger daughter Sarah, she's in junior high, uh, brought up to me the other day that, you know, that there's other kids at her school who identify with same-sex attraction at the school. And she said, you know, I don't agree with that, Dad. I know the Bible says that that's not right. But there were some, there were some other kids who were just trashing this one kid who had come out expressing same-sex attraction. And Sarah was telling me how she stopped those kids from harassing and insulting and coming down so hard on this other girl. That, that's the attitude of Jesus that Sarah's expressing there. That it's pleasing that regardless of our agreement or disagreement with someone's lifestyle, there is, it matters that we treat people with dignity, kindness, and respect. And, and so here, the way Jesus says this, guys, you know, when you read the Bible, like looking for excuses, it really warps your, our interpretation of scripture uh, because we take things that Jesus intends to just be understood inclusively and we start to make hierarchies and to split them up for stuff and a legalistic reading that's prone to finding okay am i good enough can i split it we'll miss the heart of what jesus is saying so like for example it says here anyone who says to your brother anyone if you say to your brother okay guys sorry but the fact is he wasn't just talking about your biological sibling right because I've only got one brother. That means I can treat anybody else the same thing else to anybody else I want, right? No, it doesn't mean that. And part of how we know that Jesus intended that to just be a broad description of your fellow human being is he's talking about the legal liability of being hauled in front of the ruling council 
uh, <clears throat> if you've insulted somebody else. Uh, that was not just restricted to siblings fighting within the home. That was how you spoke to your fellow citizens. Does that make sense? And, and so it's not just restricted to people in our own tribes. Hello. Um, our own way of seeing things and doing stuff. And Jesus, as I read these verses, it causes me to think, Jesus doesn't think that freedom of speech includes insulting, demeaning, or tearing down other people. So, I mean, I, I expect and I hope, I hope that as, as Christians, we're kind of careful about some of the kinds of movies we watch and the kinds of, of, of stuff that we put into our heads because it goes into our hearts. You know, if you're, if you're watching certain kinds of movies, it's not going to help your sexual purity in your heart and your attitude. Watching some kind of movies and you're trying to overcome anger and become less violent, and it's a really violent movie, it's not going to help you here in your head and your heart. Does that make sense? You know, and we say to each other, hey, be wise. You know, it's not a matter of legality or not legality, but hey, if we want to have healthy hearts and healthy lives, let's be wise about what we consume. I want to flag this for you. If you're watching television news programs or commentary programs or reading things on the internet or listening to podcasts that are consistently containing patterns of speech that are insulting, demeaning, and disrespectful to whole groups of people who believe and think differently or to specific individuals, it is not doing your heart any good. You are consuming an unhealthy, unbiblical media. It's based on the analogy Jesus is using here, it's like watching a slasher horror movie for your soul. Because he says, if you're insulting others, you're, it's like murdering them. And so turn it off and pray for your opponents, your adversaries instead. Can you hear that? See, Jesus, when Jesus comes, he confronts aspects of every culture. The kingdom of heaven, when it comes to earth, it confronts the way the world does business. It confronts the way the world does relationship. The kingdom of heaven confronts our value systems, our attitudes, and our actions. And Jesus is not only confronting the culture of his time and moment in history. He's speaking words that are eternal that confront our culture today. He's challenging the things we take for granted. At least things that we've become accustomed to and that have become acceptable in our culture. Because the ways of Jesus' kingdom are in conflict with the ways that the world operates and does its business. And because his kingdom conflicts with the way things are done in the here and now, we need to line ourselves up with Jesus and his kingdom intentionally. And yeah, without saying a lot more about it, I think particularly these areas, two areas that are danger zones for us as believers are politics and theology where we can dig our trenches, feel so right about ourselves, and flame and trash people who disagree with us. Fact is, we see in part, we know in part. You know, We believe by the grace of God, he's given us genuine revelation that we're going to live by. But we're going to live by it in a way that respects the image of God in others, even if they don't agree with us. It's, it's become too acceptable to disrespect the image of God in others in how we speak. Let's pull it back. Because here's the gospel. God's angry about sin, but he's merciful to sinners. And that's why you and I have the privilege of approaching him in freedom and confidence. 
It's because when you and I deserved only the wrath and anger of God, Jesus interposed himself. The blood of God's son was shed to take away our sin. And the Bible says that Jesus bore his own sins in our body on the tree. Peter writes that in his first letter. So that you and I, we would die to sin and live for righteousness. We don't have anything to our credit to make God say, ooh, this one is so righteous that I can't wait to let him into heaven. Instead, what we have is the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. When God looks at us, he sees his son and the righteous obedience of Jesus Christ. And because we're free from his wrath and his punishment and we're fully accepted as his family, we're grace givers to the people around us in the world. God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to all the junk that we think and act and do and say. Instead, as high as the heavens are above the earth, yeah, that's how great God's love is for you and me. He's made a way for us to approach him and be fully accepted, invited to his very table. And he gives us this life through faith in Christ, not because of righteous things that we've done, but because of his mercy. I want to urge you this morning, if you have not ever thrown yourself on the mercy of Jesus at the foot of his cross, don't wait another day. Don't try to get your life more put together. Don't try to somehow earn your way back in. And don't be deceived into thinking somehow you don't need the mercy of God that's only available through faith in Christ. Instead, don't wait another day. You're not even guaranteed tomorrow. Let today be the day where you say, Jesus, you're my Lord. I'm going to follow you and live my life for you. Because it's possible for you to come to this church week by week, participate in the family, things we do together, and say, yeah, you know, I, I believe Jesus is God and have him be out there somewhere. But if we each need to say, Lord Jesus, be the Lord and King of my own life. Do that today. If you felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit this morning about particular things, ways that you've treated other people, how you've spoken or talked or thought about other people, um, even things that just happen in your heart that don't make their way out of your mouth, where it's not like somebody else would catch you in it until you get dementia and stop filtering those things. Um, listen, please don't leave here saying to yourself that you're going to try to do better beginning this week. Throw yourself on the mercy and grace of God today before you go. Because it's only Christ in us that can live out Christ through us. Don't just say to yourself, yep, that was right. I got to do better. Say, yes, that is right. I've been wrong. Jesus, I need your help. And you'll find he'll bring his mercy and grace, his strength. He cleanses us from all sin and he empowers us by his Holy Spirit to change. Now, instead of just saying, I'm going to try to do better, we need to do this thing that the Bible calls repenting. And here's what that looks like. It means first that I acknowledge in my ad, that my attitudes and my actions are wrong and that they're displeasing to God himself, that they're an offense against his heart and his nature and his glory. And then when I've done that, when I've acknowledged that my ways are wrong and his ways are right, 
come to Jesus humbly and say, I need your forgiveness. Would you extend your grace to me? And he will. The Bible promises he'll freely bestow his grace and his forgiveness and mercy to cleanse us. But it's not complete until we also then go forward to leave behind both our actions and the attitudes that gave birth to those actions in us. And that fruit of repentance may include going to someone that you've spoken badly to. It may acknowledge you you just owning that to people uh, who've heard you or have been affected by things that you've said. And acknowledging to them your change of heart and letting Jesus help make that right because reconciling those relationships matters to him. Amen?